Hello and welcome to There Will Be Spoilers. I'm Matt Bazell. And I'm Ethan Knight. We'll be your hosts and guides as we move through the American Film Institute's 100 Greatest American Film. Uh, and the list we'll be using is AFI's 100 Years, 100 Movies, 10th Anniversary Edition. We're starting with number 100 and a little film called Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur! So, Ethan, what happens in Ben-Hur? Ben-Hur is a story about Judah Ben-Hur, who is born concurrently with Christ, and he becomes a, basically the prince of Judea, of Nazareth. So Ben-Hur, right, is a prince, um, and years and years ago, his best friend Masala, who's a Roman, lived with him, I guess, for a while. Masala goes away, he comes back. We're, this is, this is, we're like, Jesus is 30, right? So Ben-Hur must be 30 as well. Um, and I guess Masala. Masala shows back up because the Romans have conquered the Jews. So there's an occupying force right now. Yeah, with an occupying force. They meet back up. Masala says, help me hunt down the people who oppose the Romans. Ben-Hur's like, no, dude, I'm not going to do that. This is like a very like Vietnam sort of inspired thing to me, where... The Romans did with an insurgency of the Jews, and he's looking for, he's dredging up old contacts to say, can we put an end to this, and I'll pretty much make you a ruler here. Yeah, I mean, he's sweetening the deal, definitely. He's like, we're old buddies, help me out, and I'm going to, you know, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Haha, <laughs> which is funny because of the movie, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> so Ben-Hur says, no, I'm not going to do that. Masala says, okay, well, things aren't going to end well for you. There's a parade. Ben-Hur's on the roof with his sister. She knocks over a tile accidentally. It kills a Roman. They take away Ben-Hur's family. They put Ben-Hur in jail. Masala says, help me out and I'll let you all go. Ben-Hur still says no. He gets put on, on a ship. He's a rower on a ship for, for three or four years as punishment while his as, family... As number 41. Number 41. And his family, his mother and his sister are sent to jail the dungeons he's rowing on this ship they get the new captain i guess is what he is of the ship who takes an interest in in number 41 they get in a big there's a big navy battle which we don't really see yeah we don't really see a whole lot of it we just see crazy i 41 which we might put something up in like the show notes but number 41 crazy 41 with the beard looks like season five rick from the walking dead absolutely he does totally looks like season five rick so there's a big naval battle the ship sinks number 41 is unlatched for some reason yeah he just leaves him open the roman that is he's the one that survives this 
Yeah, so he survives the ship battle. He saves the uh, the new captain that came on, who's an older dude. Anyway, he's an important dude. He's like a general. You know, they're on a raft. He saves him. They get picked up by other Romans, and for some reason that makes them win the whole navy battle i don't know it was kind of unclear to me as much of this movie was they go back to rome the guy adopts ben-hur as his son ben-hur spends a bunch he spends like three years gets a signet ring for his troubles yeah he gets a signet ring for his troubles he spends three years like in the circuses doing chariot races just you know typical stuff and eventually goes back to his hometown to go because he's he needs vengeance on masala and he wants to save his family he goes back he challenges Masala to a chariot race, I guess. How does how does that happen? How does he get into the chariot race? So there's like this big chariot race already going to go on. Oh, so it's already happening. Okay. Yeah. But they, they challenge each other. They go to the chariot races. And there's the big chariot race. Ben-Hur wins. Masala dies. And Ben-Hur kind of kills him. I mean, he pretty much kills him. Yeah, so there's definitely an element of Judah reaping his revenge. Yes, absolutely. And then he goes looking for his family. Masala tells him where his family is. Except, whoops, they turned out to be lepers. Because they've been helping. Uh, they've been taking food to the Dahlia lepers. Yes, they've been taking food to the lepers, yeah. Yeah, they've been so charitable to a fault, as it turns out. They've contracted leprosy in the process. Right. But it's okay. <laughs> it is okay. It is, everything is okay at the end because Jesus shows up. And Jesus, Jesus took time out of his busy schedule <laughs> to cure leprosy and to absolve Judah ben her of, of, his, of his vengeance sin. Yeah. And so the, a good 40 minutes of the movie is the crucifixion scene. A good 45 minutes of the movie is simply wrapping up and bringing us into... The ADs of the world, as it were. Yeah, New Testament, New Testament stuff. So I'd say that's a fairly concise summary for as long as that movie runs. Of a three and a half hour movie that is yeah. as concise looking. <laughs> yeah. And so I think the pivotal scene in all that is Masala's death. Right. And him also revealing to Judah that his mother and sister are alive because he is, he is told initially that they're dead. Yes. So this is Masala... And it's hard to say if he's saying this is one last screw you to Judah or he's giving him some kind of hope. Right. There's It's a, it's a love-hate relationship throughout the whole movie and even in death. Yeah. So I'm going to play the clip and then let our listeners hear the breathy stage scenery chewing of Stephen Boyd <laughs> and Charlton Heston. All right. Here it is. Triumph complete, Judah. The race won. The enemy destroyed. I see no enemy. What do you think you see? The smashed body of a wretched animal. There's enough of a man still left here for you to hate. Let me help you. You think they're dead? Your mother and sister? Dead? And the race over? It isn't over, Judah. They're not dead. Where are they? Where are they? Where are they? 
in the valley of the lepers. If you can recognize them. Okay, so yeah, that was pretty... That was pretty intense. It was originally like a five minute scene. I had to cut it all down because that's just too much breathing. It's just too much breathing. As everything in this movie, it was just too damn long. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> so that's been her. That's the plot of it anyway. What is this movie about? Like, what do we get out of this? Well, so if I had to give you a, a thesis statement for this film, if you take vengeance on your friends but believe in Jesus, everything is going to work out for you would be the closest thing I could get to a thesis statement for this film. So I also prepared a thesis statement for this, and it goes a little like this. A story of Old Testament violence that culminates in vengeance. Also, there's Jesus. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think this is really... I'm really trying to condemn the like last 45 minutes of this movie as just sort of tacked on. It is. I mean, it totally is. So, Ethan, maybe let's talk about some of the themes of this movie, and we can get a little deeper into some of these questions. Right. So, I mean, obviously, the one of the most major themes in this film is betrayal. What constitutes betrayal, and do you take vengeance, and how do you take vengeance, I guess? Right. I think these are great questions. So, to start off, we are definitely in Old Testament world, right? Yeah. We see the movie open up really at 0 AD, right? Yeah. It starts with Jesus' birth. You get to see the nativity scene yeah so this is before jesus has come to the forefront and i want to say warp but that's not the right word right. Uh, influences christianity yeah so it is certainly eye for an eye if judah ben hur has been wronged and i can think we can argue that he has yeah. by miss his former friend and we'll get a little bit into that a little bit later and perhaps lover masala he loses his his potential love interest which is really sort of just tossed in there right esther yeah the the whole love plot between it's i guess it's been her slave yes yeah, it's, it's his slave's daughter yes and the reason that she's in there basically is to start dissolving the principality really like the idea that he is above her and owns her into something right. that be, then becomes more new testament equality so right. i think she's there to sort of help dissolve the bonds of his rulership as it were. I, I mean, I can buy that, but I think she's really just there to uh, diffuse the homoerotic relationship of these sure. two men. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about that. We're still talking about betrayal. We're still talking about vengeance. Right. Eye for an eye vengeance against those who've wronged you. Masala has wronged Judah. Now, how is Masala wronged Judah? And really, how is Judah wronged Masala? So, you had mentioned the Tribune, Masala, comes back to Judea and as an, as an occupying force. He yeah. is in charge of this legion of, of the Roman army. And there's this really long, interesting scene between he and Heston about old times. They start throwing spears, lots of penetration metaphors. Yeah, they're they're always like shaking hands and rubbing up against each other. Yeah, and so like these are some <laughs> bro bros. He's like the broest bros. Yeah, some but it wasn't. In, and I and I I realized something was maybe slightly off. And there's certainly nothing wrong with this, but it, something was definitely different about this scene. That it seemed like Stephen Boyd, the actor that plays Masala, right. is really taking a different angle than Heston is in acting. And then oh, I found yeah. out the writer of the script, a one Gore Vidal, right. has written Judah and Masala as former lovers. Masala went off to join the Roman army. Judah stays, obviously. 
And when when Masala comes back, he's expecting that old flame to still be you know able to be kindled, right. and it's not right. So he's expecting Judah to give up his people for him. So this is another sense of betrayal. That Masala is gonna is gonna win Judah back to his side, help stamp out these insurgent Jews, and right. have Rome conquer and be complete with his you know right hand man, which is also his lover. But the thing is, Gore Vidal, uh, Stephen Boy, they're all in the joke. Charlton Heston is not, so he is not playing uh, Judah as a potentially homosexual character, or at least a character that had a homosexual relationship with Masala. Right, or homoerotic even. I mean, it doesn't yeah. necessarily have to be homosexual. Sure. Charlton Heston's definitely playing this film as like, it's they were buddies. Yeah, whereas, straight-laced, as we could say. Yeah, whereas Masala is definitely, there's some, I mean, he's given him bedroom eyes throughout that whole scene, the whole yeah. scene. Yeah, so this really complicates that feeling of betrayal. And it also, that betrayal is what, stokes the flame of that vengeance of that revenge yeah. they both feel wronged and that makes their violence against one another despite being you know erotically charged in places incredibly powerful because they both right. have an iron in that fire as it were uh, but see the thing is is that i'm not so sure that uh, so i've watched this this movie twice so seven hours of my life now um, have been poured into this movie. And the second time I watched it, I was really sort of thinking in those first couple of scenes, I mean, Masala's not necessarily a great guy, but I kind of was on his side, like, help, help I can understand his motivations, like, entirely. Right. Imagine being, you go away from your buddy slash romantic interest slash lover to join the army because, you know what, you don't have the social standing that your friend Judah does. Right, Judah's a prince. He's a prince. Yeah, so he doesn't, so Masala doesn't have that that sort of safety net. So he has to go away. He comes back. He comes back, let's say, a little more hard, right? Because he's, he's a Roman legion, legionnaire, right? He's gone through the ringer. He comes back, and let's say he's been thinking about Judah the entire time. Cannot wait to come home to see his friend, his lover, his pal. And then he gets there and expects him, hey, let's fix this so that you and I can live here in peace and just pick up where we left off. And Judah's like, nah, man, I'm totally over that right. and have moved on. And these are my people and you are not my people. So to, to and, imagine and that. And I wonder, too, I sort of got the sense that maybe Judah wasn't very religious when they were kids, but now has become. Did you get that sense? Yeah, definitely that there's some something of a religious conversion, if not conversion, but the flower of religion has bloomed in Judah yeah. In, in maybe an inverse way with Masala, because Masala, the Romans are, are cast as particularly godless in this movie. Yeah, I mean, well, and he says, too, something like, you know, the emperor is God, that's all there is, or something like that, you know. And they do make allusion, like, Masala does do a few chants that are, like, based on some of the gods, but they're really more morale-focused than, than devout. Yeah. Definitely. So we have that. So Masala has become a more hard person, perhaps, while Judah has maybe become more of a compassionate person, but yeah. in, in the ways that are divergent from one another. Right. Well, and I mean, uh, Masala's been out for, what, you know, 20 years conquering heathens, right? Yeah, like there's definitely the aspect of he's been to war, and Judah right. has not seen that. And so maybe, like, it's hard to say who's wrong or right. We're definitely taken to follow judah's side and and reap his vengeance as opposed to masala's but it's hard to discount masala as like just like the one bit baddie you know right well and also i mean i guess if you're watching this from from a religious perspective masala's very clearly evil 
I mean, if you're if you're particularly religious, I mean, and we've got to think about 1960s America, right? Yeah, let's let's take a moment and talk about the Nazis. Because <laughs> the Nazis are all over this film. Rome, yeah, they doing are. their their Zieg Heil salute. Yeah, the Roman they are salute. very much. Yeah, this is in 1959. We're very much brought into the idea that this is post World War II, yeah. and we should make a direct comparison between the Nazis and the Romans. And it comes down to this. This is a conversation that Judah has later with Balthazar. I think they're talking about error in error yeah. and rulership, and how Judah is his whole suffering is really just error it's slipping through the cracks of of empire and so that slipping through the cracks how does it happen what happens with the over rationality the hyper rationality of the roman empire which you read as the nazi nazi reich and so judas just caught in between the the cogs of the system and gets chewed up by it now he eventually comes out and gets his small portion of revenge but the Romans are still in power at the end of this movie. True. The Empire has not yet collapsed. Yeah. So it's very hard to commiserate with Masson once we start seeing the Nazism, the fascism, and the yeah. rationality that we know leads to things like holocausts and right. genocide. Right. Well, and I mean, what, the movie opens with him hunting. He want, He's basically hunting Jews. And he's like, you know, he's like, Ben-Hur, help me out. Where are the bad? Tell me who they are. And he's yeah. like, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. Right. So yeah, it's it's some pretty heavy-handed Nazi imagery. Well, it's a pretty heavy movie, right? We've got vengeance, yeah. betrayal, and we have error and evil. Anything right. else on there you want to talk about? I mean, I guess we could. There's brotherhood versus patriotism, or maybe family versus patriotism, right? Because I, the, there is sort of a star-crossed lovers um, theme to these two characters, uh, because they become, you know, their best friends or whatever. Um, and maybe lovers, but they're on uh, they're on either side. You know, they're they're from the wrong families. And this is very much like this this civil war or the Romeo and Juliet, right? Brother versus brother, or like you said, two star-crossed lovers from different houses, right? And so, how do they? You know, what's more important? I guess is the it becomes the question: like your duty or your family? Yeah, and so. It's it's kind of a, a, a gray situation because yeah. family is duty to Judah and to Masala, right. your nation. You have a duty to your nation. So it's they're yeah. competing duties, competing value systems. And I think it exemplifies perfectly the schism between these two, let's call them nations or kingdoms, you know, Judea right. and Rome, and the ways in which that is ma- made manifest in these two very powerful characters. Right. And then I mean and then you you can even further complicate that with religion, right? Because that gets all wrapped up within family and patriotism and which I think is just too much at this point, right? Like yeah. if you throw all that religion in, this is, movie is already super heavy. We're just talking about the angles of vengeance and betrayal and then right. duty and honor and and value. Yeah, you throw in yeah. New Testament stuff it makes that movie really just drenched, drenched in, yeah. in this sort of weight. Well, and it, there's a morality that gets, that comes along with religion, right? So it would be different if this were just some sort of historical film about, you know, Romans and two Romans that don't get along anymore or something like that. But when you throw in the, the like really heavy, I mean, in this movie, it completely embraces the idea that Jesus is God. There's no, 
is he really get, you know, he's definitely has magic powers. Um, yeah. he def, I mean, he, you know, there's no question about it. Right. Cause he cures Judah's family of leprosy. He does. He cures them of leprosy. Boom. Yes. So and, a miracle. Glorified and, miracle. It was yeah, straight up miracle. And you, you know, you never see his face. They have the like, you know, the star, the film opens with the star moving across the sky, which is clearly mm-hmm. a miracle. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's not one of those sort of sorts of things that it's not is, subtle. No, it's not subtle by any means. And so when you throw that in, that's just a whole nother layer of complication in a movie that is already fairly complicated and long as can be. So I think it's safe to say, for me, this is where the movie breaks down. So like when I read my thesis about, hey, it's a story about Old Testament vengeance, and then there's Jesus. Now what I mean by that is this last 45-minute section about let's preface the New Testament and really get into the crucifixion of Christ, but also, so Jesus cures Judah's family of leprosy after he mm. finds them in the Valley of the Lepers, which is really, I mean, if we end it there after that scene that we just listened to about, hey, your family's in the Valley of the Lepers because they're lepers now, that, right. that kind of gives us the moral of the story. Judah chooses to abandon a duty for family, right? He abandons the duty of family for vengeance. And what's the consequence? his mother and sister become lepers. Yeah. Because if he had come back and just tended to them, this probably wouldn't have happened. He would he right. would lose he would lose vengeance, sure. But I think he would in the end have his family. But here's what happens. Instead, all that goes down, he gets his vengeance, it feels good. Oh no, my family are lepers. I go find them. Jesus cures them and guess what? Jesus absolves me. He takes the sword out of my hand. Right. So Judah gets it both ways. He gets to have his vengeance and eat it too. Yeah. Not only does Jesus take the sword out of his hand, he literally takes the sword out of his hand. Very physically, yeah. <laughs> In a heavy-handed way. Yeah. And, and it's it's a little confusing because, not necessarily confusing, but Judah is mistaken for Christ multiple times yeah. in the movie. He is. Because they're born at the same time, and, and Balthazar is looking for a man. And he's like, oh, I thought it was you, but it's not. He right. and Jesus have crossed paths. Jesus gave him water. Which is right. like, is Jesus condoning your trail of, of, uh, of vengeance? I don't know. Right. So I think that's all so complicated. Yeah, well, and, and even that scene where Jesus gives him water, uh, re-watching it the second time is, is definitely a miracle because he's drinking out of that water gourd for a, a solid, like, two minutes. And there's no way there's two minutes worth of water in that gourd. You know that in real life, he'd have to walk back over and get another scoop. Well, you see, what you forgot was that Charlton Heston's magic and he is able to choose scenery for as long as anybody true true yeah but i think you're right because if he hadn't he so after he gets out of the ship he goes and chills with that roman guy instead of just going home he like plays that that it makes total sense now that that's why he's with the roman guy for so long is because he's gonna climb the ranks and kill well, I yeah. guess he's the. I guess he's that guy's slave but he could run away well he's he's eventually adopted and he could get out of there and right. so this, the guy we're talking about is Quentin Arius, or Quentin Arius, is, yeah. is Judah Ben-Hur's adopted father. And that's where he gets his signet ring, and that's how he has the ability to eventually go and take vengeance on Masala. It is through yeah. rising to the ranks again, so we've got like divine right of kings or something for vengeance. Right. To, to, like, so he was a prince, and then he was on equal footing, and he cannot go back to equal footing to get his revenge until you know he's climbed the ladder again. Right. Which is so bizarre, and right, so his family's suffering his supposed true love interest esther is you know in the ruined house of ben her right living with her blind father and that actually that's really it's a very gothic image right he's let his house fall apart while he's gone 
trying to put together this other revenge structure. And again, really heavy-handed. The House mm-hmm. of Judah is in ru- is in shambles, yeah. physically in shambles, being tended to by his like wife slave. Yeah. <sighs> the more we talk about this, the more heavy-handed and less entertaining this movie is. <laughs> right. So I think, yeah, this movie has a lot going on. It's very heavy-handed sometimes, but other times I really like how heavy-handed it is. Like, it's saturated yeah. in a kind of a way that I'm down with. I think it's heavy-handed in the same way that Raiders of the Lost Ark is heavy-handed, right? It's a big, epic adventure film, and so if you don't want three hours of, like, character development, we want stock characters that are doing exciting things. And, I mean, there's some exciting stuff in the film. I mean, the chariot race is is excellent. Yeah, I mean, that's we could not do it justice to describe it here on the podcast. That and this is this is why we didn't put it in the as the pivotal scene, even though it probably is. We do the scene right after when we learn a little bit something about Masala's death and actually Judah's family. But that chariot scene is fantastic, and people are still marveling at it. There's still like the internet rumor that stuntman died filming that, which is actually not true. They just did it so well; it looked like the guy who's dead. Yeah. So, I mean, if you really want to see that, that's a that's a cinematic masterpiece as far yeah, as Yeah, it, it's it's beautifully shot. It it is exciting. I mean, you know, it is one of the one of the few moments in this film where I really was on the edge of my seat. I mean, it's a, you're like what's going on and it's intense. It's all close-ups, which they actually filmed that entire scene in silence and then added the yeah. sound afterward. So imagine 2 weeks of filming on this giant coliseum set that we've built and spent something like what four million dollars just in that scene? Yeah. To film that and man, it's so powerful. Yeah, so that's it's incredible, but can't really capture it in audio. Right format. through sound, right? Because it's there's not dialogue, but it yeah. So so what the film has going? I mean, there is the spectacle is pretty cool, and the ship battle is neat, even though I mean they're miniatures. But I think a lot of it looks better than a lot of the stuff that we see today at the, you know, like AAA blockbuster films are all it's all computers now and there's no marvel to it i mean these they really have all oh there's plenty of marvel in today's movies right marvel superheroes ethan jeez i don't need if i see one more marvel superhero movie i just don't know what but because it's all just you don't even know what's going on it's all fake and in this it is it's all flash and ben-hur is actually real i mean there are real horses there are real stunts they actually, Masala's horses in the chariot race were brown horses dyed black. Oh, and, really? Yeah, and the paint started coming off during filming. So that's why the horses look brown later in the oh, chariot scene. Yeah, I did so not know that. The movie Ben-Hur has heart in a way that some modern titles don't. So yeah. do, you think, do you think we should move to our, our three questions? Yeah, I think we probably can move on to them. All right, Ethan, do we care about this movie? Uh, do we care about this movie? I, you know, I think, I think I do. I think it's important. It makes sense as number 100 in the 100 best films because it is in a lot of ways, a prototypical giant epic film like that we can definitely sort of, I mean, it has resonances, right? And I don't know that there's necessarily another film. I mean, the, the cover of this thing the the movie poster is a giant stone Ben Hur. It says Ben Hur, right? And it's got all these tiny little people. It's even the, it looks the, like Schoolhouse Rock. It does look like Schoolhouse Rock, except t- completely serious. Yeah, it's earnest in a way that is both hilarious and sort of awe inspiring. 
Yeah. And and funny, I think, for us looking back. But at the time, I mean, it's... Yeah, so we should care about this movie. I mean, I think it probably... I mean, it did things that we... that movies didn't do sure well maybe they maybe they did i don't know maybe that's wrong to say well this is actually one of the first films that used like this i forget the name of it it was a really high-tech camera and they've been used before yeah that's super there was some cinema yeah there were some cinematic qualities to this that literally had never been done before yeah i'm inclined to agree with you that yeah this is this is a filmed epic is it yeah. is a epic but it's filmed and i do care about it for those reasons Everything, yeah. everything the things I don't like about this movie, I think are problematic in interesting ways. True, yeah, I would I would agree. Okay, so the next question, how does this hold up? Or does it hold up? Yeah, I think it does. I definitely think it does. It is pretty awe-inspiring, just, just visually. Thematically, some of the heavy-handed religious stuff, I don't know that that would fly today outside of very specific audiences. Mm-hmm. Because certainly people are going to see... God's not dead too, um, <laughs> but in general there are not. A God's whole lot not of, dead, also. Right? Yeah. Right. But in general, I feel like most big blockbuster movies now would shy away from the really explicit religious stuff. So aside from that, I think I think it does. It is beautiful, and it's really refreshing to see something that's not all computers. I mean, it's all real. There are real horses, real people, real set pieces. They built that Coliseum, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so I think I agree with you this in this as well. And I think you actually touched on this earlier in the podcast about this being about actors with characters, you know, characters yeah. that live and breathe as opposed to these stock characters and spectacle and action. So does right. it hold up in ways? Yes, because this is really character focused. And yeah. like I said earlier, these characters sort of embody Rome and Judea and duty and honor and governing and love and revenge. These, So they're sort of Hawthorne in this way, right? They're like Hawthorne's yeah. idea characters. And that's that's neat, but at the same time, it's also like, hey, where are the explosions? Is kind of what I think some modern viewers would want to know. So does it hold up? Yes and no, right? Yeah, and 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 the length, the length. I guess so. If we so I guess maybe the way we should think about this question is like, if we if we showed it in theaters today, would it make money at, just as is? And the length is a problem, right? Because it's three and a half hours long. It's two DVDs. So I guess what we're saying is in 2019, look for Ethan and Matt's Ben-Hur. <laughs> and it's going to be a lot more tight. Cut it down. Screw it down. And it's going to be love, hate, revenge. There'll be some saucy sex scenes between not Charlton Heston and Stephen Boyd. <laughs> but definitely Andrew Lincoln from The Walking Dead as, as uh, <laughs> Judah Ben-Hur. And then... Topher Grace from Asala because he just looks like Topher Grace. Well, you know they're remaking this movie. What? They are remaking this movie. I found this out the other day. They are remaking it, and I think the only big name actor in it is Morgan Freeman. Hold on, let me. Is let he me... Gonna, is he going to be the Sheik? I don't. I don't know. No, because they're going to have Gimli from Lord of the Rings play the Sheik. Right, he that was basically who. What's that? What's his name? That actor, John Reese Davies. Davies. He yeah. he was like John, and at that we haven't even touched on that. Um, the fact that he that the in Saracen that plays, face. Yeah, he's oh uh, yeah, he's in he's in blackface, and that's really yeah. probably. So again, like that would never fly today. Sure. Although they did just do that movie. What was it? The Sons of Egypt or Gods of Egypt, and everybody was white in that. Yeah. So yeah, that's really problematic. That everybody in this film is white. Whitewashing is certainly a problem and still remains to be a problem in today's film. Yeah, it definitely does. So yeah, but I so I would say the length 
the the religion and the pretty blatant racism in terms of I mean, putting people in blackface and stock character roles that fill certain obligations. Yeah, uh, some of like these characters are. Yeah, they're just not full. They're not as full as our lovely white characters that play all the important parts and right. do all the things, right? Yeah. Okay, so yes, but I think this leads us into our final question: Is what yeah. do we owe this movie? It's definitely problematic today, and it may or may not hold up on different ends. But what do we owe this movie? I mean, it seems to be. I think. I think I said it earlier. It's. It feels very prototypically epic, like the er epic Hollywood film. And I think we can see echoes of this style of cinematography in things like Avengers or, you know, Transform. All these big explosions movies are are basically Ben-Hur with very little plot or, or a version of it, right? Because Ben-Hur right. has chariot race, it has ship battles at sea, there are lepers. It's very sensational. Yeah, so I think I agree with this as well. What do we owe this movie? A sense of scope. You know, it's hard yes. to say this being the first movie on our list, you know, the right. top 100, but it has an incredible budget and one that actually pays off, you know, in, in contemporary it film. It's a movie that, that brought it, that had an earnest sort of approach to movie making and to story that really doesn't pan out in modern AAA titles or don't right. even begin to approach it in that way. So I think we owe a great deal to this movie, if not its exact execution, but certainly the art of this movie is still something very real that I want to say can still be enjoyed by audiences today. Yeah, if they can get past length racism. <laughs> Which is going to be a problem with a lot of these movies, I have to imagine, just given the time. Yeah. But I guess that remains to be seen. And kind of on that note, that really wraps up our first episode of Ben-Hur. Did you like Ben-Hur just as a whole? Beyond all these things you've said about it, do you like Ben-Hur? Yeah, I would say I would say it was worth a watch. I don't know that my second viewing was as enjoyable but the first time i did enjoy watching it it was not a snooze fest yeah i would say yes i liked it i think ben hur is like running a mile it's not something you do often well i'm sure there's a lot of people out there that do do it often <laughs> there's literally someone right now with this in their ears saying i'm running five miles as we speak right. yeah I'm not i don't run i don't run miles i don't run many miles very often but when i do it's rewarding in a way that is also exhausting and yes. I feel once I'd watched Ben-Hur, I was both exhausted and rewarded, and one viewing is fine. Thank you very much. And I, I would recommend this movie to people for that reason. I would, too. You have to know what you're getting into. If you're willing to put down three hours of your life, it will be worthwhile. Agreed. So that's our show. That's our podcast, as it were. That's episode one, Ben-Hur. We want to thank everyone for listening. And yes, hopefully you. you'll be with us for episode two. Let us know if there's anything you want to see in our, the way we kind of go about this. You know, leave us comments, that sort of thing. But for now, I think we're going to leave you with the upcoming Toy Story, which we will kick off in two weeks. But as always, there will be spoilers. There will be spoilers! There Will Be Spoilers was hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. We were produced by Matt Bazell. Our music is by the enigmatic Breakmaster Cylinder. You can find his music all over the internet. Google him. Our artwork was by Becca Knight. You can follow her on Twitter at Becca the Knight with a K. Or you can find her website at nightdraws.com. You can follow us on Twitter at SpoilersCast. 
follow us on Facebook at There Will Be Spoilers. And you can shoot us an email if you want at spoilerscast at gmail.com. We plan on answering emails on our off-week podcast, so be sure to send in your questions or comments. And finally, please remember to subscribe to us on iTunes and or SoundCloud and review us, please. Thanks for listening. Hey, guys, look! It's the real Buzz Lightyear! You're mocking me, aren't you? Oh, no, 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 no. Buzz, look, an alien! You are a toy! You are a sad, strange little man, and you have my pity. Farewell. Hey, Buzz! You're flying! This isn't flying, this is falling with style. <laughs>